Winter was here, but we are just getting started on our Game of Thrones rewatch of Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. And now, here are the two guys who could not bear to go any longer without podcasting Game of Thrones. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, just bearing this thing called life. <laughs> the grisly experience. Yes, indeed. Yes, an unfair experience. Uh, yes, a very, uh, a very grisly episode uh, because there is a bear in it, as mm-hmm. <laughs> as the title implies. Yes. Not enough um, Mormons for my liking. If we're having an episode titled after bears, yeah. And so here we are now with just three hours to go in the rest of season three from here and uh, a little bit of a peace moving episode here. uh, Episode seven of season three there in the main fair. I think a little bit slower than it's been in recent episodes, though. I feel like Theon Greyjoy would take umbrage with that position. (laughs) (laughs) I think Theon would argue that this was a little too fast, a little too furious, this episode. (laughs) You'd say, I would like to have not had my piece moved in this episode. Yes, yes. Keep my piece exactly where it is. So obviously some very traumatic things in that already very traumatic storyline uh, has taken a very, uh, I was going to say a hard turn, but that just, that felt, that felt unfair. A dark turn. Uh, it, yeah, a dark turn. A very dark turn. Yes. Okay. We will talk about all of that coming up here as we discuss the events from this episode. And then later on, we'll discuss their spoiler implications here as uh, we recap another episode of season three of Game of Thrones on uh, this rewatch. And so, uh, Josh, uh, why don't we begin our discussion where the episode begins and that's with uh john and egret and uh really we're we're in like full-on like rom-com uh john and egret stage this episode's really fun for the two of them because it's very odd couple-y uh where it's really you know two people from very different worlds clashing uh and you know the culture shock that egret is kind of in for as john is talking about how um you know he's he's introducing her to terms like fainting she's never heard of fainting before uh she thinks that windmills are castles you know nothing john on snow buddy grit i don't know doesn't seem like you know much about westeros she really pivots very quickly from when she sees the windmill and she's like oh is that a palace and john snow's like we've got much bigger palaces at winterfell she's like, oh fancy man with a big palace like you were the one that was impressed with the windmill I really enjoy uh, every single time Egret gives Jon Snow like that kind of attitude of like, oh, I'm Jon Snow. Look at me. I'm so cool. I live in the biggest castle. Windmills are so stupid. Like she does that a lot. It's like, oh, I'm a little lord from Trolley Lolly Lottie Day. Very fun. <laughs> it's really, really great. Yeah. And so we also have oral 
really inserting himself into this relationship and you know, they'd like to anyway he's a douche to Jon Snow and then that uh, you know uh Egret calls him out and says like uh what are you jealous and he's like yeah you know what I am jealous you should be with me yeah. <laughs> uh like points for honesty I oh, well, guess like pretty <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like uh yeah i i was i i didn't remember that exchange between oral and egret and him just like outright being like yeah you know what i am jealous this is stupid you shouldn't be with that guy you should yeah. be with me yeah uh I it's like wow warg into a bird okay why, yeah. why shouldn't you be have, with me <laughs> have huh? you ever seen a human tosses consciousness into an eagle before. Oh, you have? You've seen me do that before? Uh, I guess it's not that impressive anymore. Oh, oh, you just want to be with that other guy because he's good looking? I have a good yeah, job. Just, I have a career. I'm a warg <laughs> yeah. for the wildlings. I work for Mance Raider. Yeah. Future, uh, for future reference, Oral, uh, if you are trying to seduce a fellow wildling, maybe don't try to kill them first, uh, as he tried to do in the climb, as he literally tried yeah. to, uh, send Egret and John to their deaths. And now he is being all indignant that she is infatuated with Jon Snow and not with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, I think the epitome of uh, wildling privilege going on yes, here. Yes, the right epitome, now. Uh, indeed. Josh, the, but I don't think that that was the hang-up, though, as Orel points out to Jon Snow. He's like, I tried to kill her, too. She's not mad about it. And I don't think that that was the issue. Yeah, but it's probably not really like a, a compelling argument in terms of the romantic prospect, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he'll tell her that she's beautiful and fierce and wild. Why don't you just tell her now? Mm, I think he tried to. Yeah. You know, don't say like what you would do. Say what you're feeling. You know, be <laughs> honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, probably just don't say any of this because it's not going to go well. Um, <laughs> but he says to her, he says, you're not going to love him so much once you find out what he really is. And of course, we know that Jon Snow has not fully committed himself to the wildling cause, that he is kind of, um, you know, he's still waffling a little bit in that regard. And you get shades of that in a later scene with Jon and Egret. Yeah. Well, John tries to tell Egret that one day he'll bring her to Winterfell. It's just maybe one day I'll bring you to Winterfell uh, when we're taking it over. And he's like, no, please promise me you're not going to invade the like uh, like you're not going to win. Yeah, he's basically like, hey, uh, about that. everybody knows, you know. Yeah, like in Westeros, we've heard all the stories about all the times that you guys have tried to conquer us and it never works out. And, you know, it's been six times. The seventh time is not going to be any different. If you attack the wall, you will die. All of you. And she corrects him. All of us. What's this? You. It's we. You're part (laughs) of the we. Yeah. So. Let's talk about one of Jon Snow's uh, brothers in, uh, I guess, you know, but kind of like by what, like half brothers, whatever. Uh, let's talk about Rob Stark and what's going on with him. It's a mitzvah this week, Josh. We find out that Rob Stark is going to be a dad. 
Oh my God. Mazel, Rob. That is just fantastic. Congratulations. Let us know if we should be buying the, the blue or pink banners to, to send up, uh, once you do the, the big gender reveal, uh, on your way to River Run. Very exciting times for Rob and, and Talisa. And I feel like very curious timing in terms of like delivering the news. Like when was she planning on telling him? Did she have like some big surprise and she just couldn't hold it back anymore but it kind of just comes up as she's writing letters to her mother uh and speaking in valyrian she's very uh, we're getting a little bit thing. of a lesson yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, indeed. She really is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this scene gets set up with there's a, a torrential rainstorm, which really slows down the Stark army and they're sort of meeting. And Cat Stark at the whole time is like, uh, Walter Frey's not going to like this. Uh, Wal- uh, Lord Frey's uh, that he's a prickly one. Yeah. And the Blackfish is like, Walter Frey doesn't like anything. Walter Frey sucks. Mm -hmm. He has some very colorful ways that he describes Walter Frey. Uh, Just a a little bit of a profanity warning for anybody who wants to skip ahead 30 seconds. Uh, The Blackfish has the great line of, I've seen wet shits that I like better than Walter Frey. and then he like catches himself because he's in the presence of Talisa and he feels like he's insulted her and he apologizes. And she has the great line of, you know, I've watched a lot of people bleed and die. I'm not afraid of wet shits. Nice. Uh, I enjoyed that exchange. I thought that was very funny. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of butts in this scene also. Uh, a lot of uh, Rob Stark butt. I'm not sure if we had seen uh, Rob Stark's butt before, but there it is. And then also... You get two full moons at once. It's like yes. the view out from Tatooine, right? Yeah. You know, you can just uh, put the... the... I, don't know, I don't know how many moons they have. <laughs> it's like the re- it's a reverse Tatooine. Yeah. <laughs> <Reverse> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Rob Stark is trying to plan out the rest of the war, but uh, Talissa will not put any clothes on. And uh, Rob is complaining like, oh, am, I supposed to, am I supposed to concentrate with you? Uh, oh, I'm going to attack you again. And she goes, attack, attack, attack yeah. the clones. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so she's writing a letter to mom and explains that uh, one day uh, maybe we can go and uh, visit Volantis and then uh, my mom can meet her son-in-law and then also can meet her grandchild. What? Yeah. And Rob, uh, Rob's very excited about this. He's very taken aback. Uh, and, you know, Taos at first is a little worried that he's going to be upset. He's, of course, not upset. You're my queen, he says to her. Uh, and she says, and I have your little prince or princess inside of me. And he goes, maybe both. And she's like, please, no. Please, God, yeah. no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the twins. We don't want to have twins. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, you know, we didn't mention also uh, we go in the next scene that comes after this is uh, Tormund, where he's uh, giving some love know-it-alls advice to people. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm not sure exactly who he's talking to, uh, but he's talking about how the uh, the proper way to uh, make love uh, that I don't know if this is a spoiler yet, uh, a very minor one if you're nervous about such things. But uh, we know that uh, Tormund uh, has sex with a bear, right? Is this the, the yeah, moves? Yeah, he, he's, he's, 
he's talking about how north of the wall, most men fornicate with their dogs. Uh, <laughs> like dogs. You know, Tormund? <laughs> like dogs, yeah. not with dogs. Yeah. Oh, I thought that he was talking about, like, literally doing it with dogs. No. Uh, Tormund, <laughs> regardless, Tormund has done it with bears, so it's not, like, a very far cry. Like, he still has sex with animals. Um, so, you know, maybe think about that every time you see Tormund on screen, or try not to. Yes, but he does it gently. I guess. Does that make it better? I don't think so. I don't want to, you know, be elitist. I don't want to be a set, you know, I don't want to judge the wildlings for their customs, but this one feels like it's too far. But it's a great transition to talk about Jamie and Brienne in this episode. Yes, because they literally go into the bear pit. (laughs) Yes. Brienne will literally take on a bear in this episode. And we see that Jamie is being uh, shipped off back to King's Landing, back to uh, his father. But Brienne is being forced to stay. Uh, Somehow that Lord Bolton has decided that she will be a prisoner of Locke for some reason. Yeah, uh, I guess like he wants to, I don't even know why he's throwing Locke a bone. Locke kind of screwed this whole thing up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by, by behanding Jamie Lannister. That was, uh, you know, yeah. that was a big, that was a big no-no. And now he's getting, you know, Brienne as a prize feels like, uh, I don't know. I don't know why, why Locke is winning out on, on this deal at all, but he doesn't really win out on the deal ultimately because yeah. Brienne is not going to stay in Heron Hall for long. Not for long, but. Jamie is leaving Brienne and uh, Brienne says, OK, look, we made a pro- I made a promise to Cat Stark that I that uh, I would get you to King's Landing and then you have to fulfill your end of the bargain. Free the Stark girls. Promise me that. Then we're even. Yeah. And he says, I got you. I'll do it. I'll return the Stark girls to their mother. I swear it. So promises have been made. Yeah. Okay. So Jamie ends up on the road. Uh, Maester Kyburn or former Maester Kyburn is sort of uh, overseeing the operation. Uh, We saw him working on the last of the corruption of Jamie's stump, and he seems to have a real talent for what he's doing, Josh. He knows what he's doing. Um, we find out some details about Maester Kyburn, the reason why he is no longer a Maester, ex-Maester Kyburn. And it is because uh, his weakness is curiosity. Hmm. Uh, curiosity, as they say, killed the cat. And Kyburn probably loved that. He loves like dead animals and dead things and things he can study. He says the only way to treat disease is to understand disease. And the only way is to experiment on the afflicted. So we are revealing that Kyburn has kind of a twisted side to him that he seems like he kind of gets his jollies by torturing people who are at death's door and learning more about uh, the human anatomy that way. Yeah. So, we see Jamie and Kyburn talking about things and, uh, you know, they're sort of debating, well, how many people have you killed? How many people have you saved? Uh, Jamie, again, uh, a little humble brag about half a million people that he saved. Uh, that's the population of King's Landing. Yeah. You know, saving half a million people is cool. Do you know what would be really cool? Saving half a billion people. Oh, okay. and that and that shut everybody up. Yeah. Okay, and maybe that's that's some of the work that Kyburn is doing. Uh, He's going to invent polio one day. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. How many people have you killed? Half a billion. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> the key, I, what I was trying to say is he's going to invent the cure for polio. Uh, 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 oh, I thought that he was going to. I thought that this was a bit. I thought I thought this was a polio origin story. And Maester Kyburn is responsible thing. for the whole big, the yeah. whole big reveal. <laughs> That's um, the whole twist of Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, speaking of twists, uh, a cruel twist ends up happening because uh, we find out that Brienne's father ended up offering a uh, a very handsome ransom back to uh, Locke in exchange for Brienne, except that Jamie's story about how she's from the Sapphire Islands ended up leading Locke to believe that uh, that Brienne's father has way more sapphires than he actually does and thinks that uh, basically he's being lowballed. Right. And so Jamie is feeling really guilty about this. <laughs> uh, he he does not, you know, he, he's like, oh, God, I have essentially killed Brienne with my own lie. I'm too good. Uh, my, my deception skills are just too strong that this is basically sentenced Brienne to death. And I don't know. Something about Jamie Lannister has changed. Like, you can't imagine the Jamie Lannister of season one or even season two deciding, I got to go back and save this person but you know he decides we got to go back to heron hall you know this was a person just a few episodes ago that he was in a sword fight to the death against uh and jamie is now saying i've got to save her i can't let her die yeah and so he ends up recruiting one of the bolton men and says hey if you don't come with me i'm gonna tell my father that you cut my arm off he's like no you wouldn't i would and so then that guy just has to do it yeah, he says, you know, either you're the guy who chopped my hand off or you're the guy who saved my life. Which person do you want to be? Yeah. Uh, and so this man with the crossbow, as we come to see later on in the episode, makes a, a very wise choice to be the man who saves <laughs> Jamie Lannister's yeah. life. That's the, the right move. Who's actually a horrible shot with the crossbow because he ends up uh, missing the bear at one point. He hits the bear when the bear is standing still. But once the bear is moving, it seems like he can no longer hit the bear like we saw in this episode where egret hits a deer from like half a mile away with a bow and arrow this guy has a crossbow and is like 20 feet away from the bear and is missing has like stormtrooper yeah yeah (laughs) exactly yeah i think that he uh he loses the archery contest against egret for sure you know there have been a lot of archers on game of thrones uh, especially this season it seems and if we were to write out that list uh, just put a just putting an an arrow into that idea for future reference uh, i think that this man is quite likely the worst archer we have encountered in game of thrones so far Okay. All right. So Jamie gets back to Heron Hall. Brienne is in the bear pit. She's fighting the bear with the wooden sword. What, what is everybody hoping to see? People want to just want to see uh, Brienne ripped apart by the bear. I think so. That seems to be it, right? I mean, what else do they think is going to be? the result of this fight. I don't think that they reasonably expect that Brienne of Tarth is going to kill a bear with a wooden sword. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, it's been a long time since we've seen a bear rip somebody to pieces. That could be fun. There's really nothing on, uh, nothing else going on today here in Heron Hall. So that's their move. I guess how many different things can you do with a bear until Tormund Giants Bane shows up? (laughs) Oh no. 
That's a, that's that's a different wooden sword. Uh, oh, oh no! So Josh, uh, Jamie dives in. Uh, I feel like the Jamie yes. probably should have grabbed the sword on the way into the bear pit, but that's you know hindsight's twenty twenty. And well, you know he's missing his sword hand, so who knows how? Uh, well, then he could have given it to Brienne. That would have been a better thing to do. Yeah, or like yeah. throws a sword to Brienne. That probably would have even been more useful exactly. than him getting in there himself. But it, this yeah. is a, a noble thing that he does. And and uh, not the Chris variety. He gets in there, helps Brienne get out, and then uh, basically demands that they are set free. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it seems pretty tense at first where Locke is like, she's mine. And Jamie says, uh, who do you think is more important here? Like, do you think Lord Bolton wants you to have Brienne or does he want Tywin Lannister's son to be alive? And so with that being said, she's coming with me. Sorry about the sapphires. Yeah. OK, so. Jamie and Brienne then leave Harren Hall and uh, head to King's Landing. Uh, I guess let's talk about the other Lannisters in this episode. And uh, let's talk about uh, Tyrion is really wrestling with the ramifications of his engagement to Sansa. Yeah, both he and Sansa. We we see scenes with both of them mm-hmm. where they're um, they're kind of wrestling with this news. Where Sansa really wanted to be uh, not just Loras Tyrell's wife, but wanted to be Marjorie Tyrell's sister-in-law. You know, uh, and Marjorie is still being very kind towards Sansa. You got to imagine that Marjorie's uh, schedule is very packed, and she's still making time to hang out with Sansa Stark. So that's very kind of her, and she's really trying to get Sansa to see the silver linings of being married to Tyrion like he's you know he's a very handsome guy he's got the scar he looks really cool with the scar he's far from being the worst Lannister uh you know and you know he he may have a a trick or two up his sleeve that could be very exciting Mm -hmm. so let me ask you this question and hopefully this is something you can answer without getting into any spoiler territory but why is Marjorie uh, counseling Sansa? Is it just from the goodness of her heart? I think she likes Sansa Stark. I think that Marjorie is here in King's Landing. It seems like she's here on a business trip. She's going to marry Joffrey. She knows that Joffrey is awful. She has to be very on around Joffrey in order to, um, you know, to kind of like play her cards and play up the fact that she's really into him and into all of his barbaric ways. And then when she's not around Joffrey, she has to really turn on the charm for the people, uh, you know, she has to really be like the the excellent first lady of Westeros so that she can really stake her claim out there. And when she's with Sansa, I think that she looks at Sansa and she's like, oh, this is a sweet girl who I can kind of just like mentor a little bit. And that's kind of fun. Uh, so I think that she likes that. I think that she is a fan of that. And, you know, even though that Sansa's not engaged to Loras, uh, she is engaged to Tyrion. And so she marrying into the Lannisters means that Marjorie, uh, who is also marrying into the Lannisters, 
they're going to be at a lot of family functions together. And those things are very awkward. The company is going to be uncomfortable. So why not just like stake out your claim as Sansa Stark is going to be your bestie? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's possible that Lady Olena has really given Marjorie the download and basically has told her, look, Tywin has us over the barrel. He's going to put Loras in the Kingsguard if for some reason any of these plans don't go through. So I basically made a deal with the devil with Tywin to make sure this royal wedding happens. And so you need to go and talk to Sansa and make sure she's on board with marrying Tyrion. Yeah, I think that that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, But Tyrion is, you know, uh, he's very upset about this as well. Yeah. Well, I got a sense from the episode, Josh, that uh, Tyrion is... Uh, conflicted. Like, I kind of see where Shay is coming from, even though I'm not a big, uh, Shay apologist, where Tyrion, I think, is, uh, not happy about this, but I, I don't think is necessarily angry that he has to marry Sansa. I think he's more, uh, he's conflicted about it. You know, he's, he doesn't feel good about having to marry a child, a tall child, sure, but still a child. Um, but I think he is smart enough and knows the game well enough that the reality is by marrying Sansa, he gains some serious power in the north. And that could be interesting for, for Tyrion. So I think that there are, um, there are aspects about this that he sees attractive for his future prospects. But I think there's the very real reality of he does not want to put Sansa through more torment at the hands of the Lannisters. Um, and he loves Shay. Um, and, you know, like you said, I think Shay has a compelling point as well. They have a later on where Shay is saying like I'm still just going to be like you know your your woman on the side you're going to be married to Sansa and you're going to come to me for a booty call basically is what she is saying and Tyrion is like not you know he's trying to to calm her down and reject that but I don't think he's really doing a great job of convincing Shay and maybe it's because he himself is not convinced yeah and he's talking with her and she's, uh, you know, sort of making a good point about like, okay, well, then if you don't want to do this, then let's just leave. And he's like, well, what what will I do then? Uh, you know, will I be a, a juggler? Uh, you know, uh, what what will I do? And I, I kind of feel her point where if, if it is all about, OK, I love you. I don't want this. Then why not leave this life? Because he doesn't want to be a juggler. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think he, you know, he Poor feels juggler. like he probably. Right. I think that, you know, Tyrion is accustomed to a certain way of life. Uh, he's accustomed to a certain culture. And going across the narrow sea, he probably wonders, what could I do over there? What would life be like over there? It would be so different from what he's doing now. And it is interesting that, no, you know, even though he is treated so horribly by the members of his own family, Tyrion has this deep abiding loyalty to House Lannister. Uh, he's proved it time and time again. And you get the sense that a lot of what he is doing is because he is either fighting for the love and respect that he feels he is owed by his family or because that dynamic is so abusive that he can't come out from under their shadow. Um, but I think that it's it's really, you know, it's emblematic of this idea that it's very hard to move away from what you know, even if what you know is 
is terrible. It's like the, you know, the, the known danger is still preferable to the possibilities of the unknown, which can be very scary. And I think that's what's keeping Tyrion here, um, you know, feeling like he needs to be loyal to his family, especially a guy the way that he's been raised by one of the great houses of Westeros. I think it's unfathomable to him that he would shirk his duties. <laughs> I like when Tyrion is talking about like what it could be like this sort of a uh, setup and Shay basically says something like, uh, oh, so what am I? I'm just I'm Shay, the funny whore. And I'm kind of like, yeah, oh, Shay's that funny. You know, if Tyrion can learn how to juggle, I feel like, uh, you know, Shay could take uh, take up like stand up lessons, maybe some improv classes. Yeah, I just never heard her say anything that funny. Um, the whole like drink. That was kind of funny. But <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, also in King's Landing, we have a great scene between Tywin and Joffrey. It's always fun when these two characters get together and Joffrey like wants a status report from Tywin about what's going on. And basically he wants to know, uh, so you've been having small council meetings without me. Why? And then uh, yeah. why, why have you moved them? Is And it was more convenient. As somebody who works from home, I get it, Tywin. He wants to cut down on the commute. Totally. Uh, that is, you know, my biggest thing as well as somebody who works from home. I try to make sure that any meeting that I have that has to be in person is as close to the home as humanly possible. So I definitely relate very hard not, to Tywin Lannister carried, right? in this morning. I mean, that sounds preferable. Yeah. <laughs> to, to using what? Using my own feet? Are you kidding me? Not happening. Mm-hmm. Um so this scene is is great. It you know, it's not exactly an important scene, um, it, except that it, it establishes the power dynamics that are really at play here in King's Landing. Like we've seen Joffrey be so cruel and awful to so many people, to basically everybody on the show, including his own mother. You know, he's had some really terrible moments with her and she up until this season, I think, is the most powerful powerful person in his life that he has been that awful to. Um, and now we see him facing off against Tywin Lannister and we have met somebody that Joffrey cannot abuse. Uh, we have met somebody that in the face of Joffrey's wicked little boy king antics is not only going to, to not buckle in the face of that, he is going to walk right into that little boy king's face and say, you are being counseled right now. Uh, it's a, it's a great Charles dance scene. Again, Jack Gleason, who plays Joffrey. This is a really good scene for him as well. The function of the scene really is just kind of to set up Daenerys Targaryen because we're going to go to her in the very next scene. Um, but in terms of just the establishing these dynamics and just being a delicious dialogue heavy scene with two really great actors going at each other in this way. Um, one of my favorite scenes of season three so far. Yeah. Joffrey also wanted to know about the Targaryen girl what's going on with that yeah give me the updates yeah is she cute <laughs> tywin says oh don't concern yourself with that it's under control uh i want to be counseled yeah You're being counseled <laughs> at this counsel- moment <laughs> counsel me grandfather <laughs> uh 
Yeah, he's he's counseling. He's being counseled. Yeah. Uh, And I I like Tywin's takeaway of I promise that you shall be appropriately consulted on important matters whenever necessary. Mm -hmm. That's like the Team America quote of I promise I will never die. Like just a a thing that is being pitched that cannot possibly be uh, delivered upon. Very funny. Like you will be appropriately consulted on important matters whenever necessary, which means you shall never be consulted about anything. <laughs> right. Uh, elsewhere in Westeros, uh, we see Arya still pouting with the Brotherhood Without Banners. Uh, she's taking it out on Beric Dondarrion, and uh, they have to go out on a mission to fight the Lannisters. Arya goes into a full-on tantrum, says, uh, I hope that uh, none of you ever come back. I hope the Lannisters kill you all. She runs away only to be snatched up by the hound. By the hound. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that we clarified uh, Tormund Giants Bane's relationship with dogs. Otherwise, there would have been an inappropriate joke to be had here. Uh, but the hound has Arya uh, in his custody at the end of this scene. And that's all that we get from Arya in this episode. This is not the spoiler section. This is the spoiler free section. But clearly, these two characters have stories that are intertwined, at least at the moment. Um, and just to give a tease... It's really good. You know, <laughs> the the Arya and the, the Hound stuff, whatever's coming next. It's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Now, what was the Hound doing? He, the, 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 he was freed by the Brotherhood Without Banners. And then what was he just like uh, sleeping out back behind the garage of uh, where the Brotherhood hangs out? Yeah. Where else is he going right now? <laughs> you know, he doesn't have much else to do. It's got nowhere else to go. Okay. Um, we yeah. saw a scene with Melisandre and Gendry as they sail past uh, King's Landing. And uh, Gendry ends up uh, finding out his origin story. Yeah, he is the, the bastard son of King Robert Baratheon. You've got the king's blood, son. Um, so it's very exciting stuff for Gendry, who is very Keanu about it all, right? Like, he's kind of just like, whoa, oh, my God, I had no idea. Uh, you know, he's just he's really taking it. Uh, he, he doesn't know how to take this news. This yeah. is, you know, his 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 mind is being blown. It's the it's the Tim and Eric gif is what's going on in his head right now. Yes. Uh, very similar to uh, the story of the great hero Lone Star, who uh, found out <laughs> once upon a time that he was a prince. Uh, that was very similar to Gendry learning that his father was indeed uh, King Robert. I feel like uh, in an alternate universe, Bill Pullman would have been a great Robert Baratheon. Let me just throw that out there. <laughs> All right. Then. <laughs> Got nothing I mean, else. The, nothing I'm, else to add to that. Yeah, well, I've, I've, just I've, put I've, it in your I'm, mind. I'm working on a uh, Independence Day uh, speech right. uh, to uh, rally <laughs> yeah. all of Westeros. Uh, but, oh, maybe in uh, the uh, the if they do uh, like a Robert's Rebellion prequel, they can uh, digitally de-age Bill Pullman mm-hmm. uh, just to give like some sort of rousing speech before the Battle at the Trident. That feels like a really uh, worthwhile use of the budget. Seven hells. We shall not go down into the night. Any of those nights into the nightlands. Yeah, in the nightlands. 
Okay, uh, Josh, uh, let's quickly touch on what's going on uh, with uh, the brand crew. And uh, there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks that they need to keep going north. And OSHA's like, oh, no, I know what's up there. I'm not going back. Yeah, and she starts to tell the story of uh, her boyfriend, who it seems like he got uh, killed and brought back Bruni. to life the way that we've seen. <laughs> yeah, Bruni, and she, she starts talking about Bruni. She's like, let me tell you about Bruni and what happened to Bruni. And Bruni was the best. Let me tell you, first of all, that Bruni was a great guy, best guy, best guy I've ever met. And Bran is like, fine, we won't go fine, past the wall. Please, just, just shut stop. up about Bruni. Sorry about Bruni. <laughs> Go, but can we talk about yeah. skinning rabbits again? Yes. Oh my God! Please, justice for stop Bruni. talking about Bruni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Branny does not want to hear about Bruni. Nobody does. At Oh, no. That was um, one of the worst scenes in Game of Thrones that I can think of. I mean, we uh, said that about scene. this crew yeah. last week. I mean, this crew is really underperforming. Striking out. This storyline so far seems to be miserable. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of awful. And the best part is, is so it, it begins with Osha and Hodor are, you know, setting up a tent and, uh, you know, Osha is complaining about like, oh, those guys, they're just always talking, you know, Mira and Jojen and Bran, they're just talk, talk, talking. And you and I have to do all the work. Isn't that right, Hodor? And Hodor is just like, Hodor. And Osha's like, oh God, you are the only person. Person that I have to talk to, and this is awful. Meanwhile, Rickon, if you noticed Rickon in the scene, is literally just lying down underneath this tent that is being built on top of him, mm-hmm. doing absolutely nothing. Rickon Stark, worst character on the show, <laughs> up there? Or like, who's the like, if you were to power rank, who's the worst of this crew right now? It'd be hard to say. Yeah, I, I'd still take Rickon over Mira Reed or Osha, but I hear what you're saying. He's inoffensive. He's literally he's I'm inoffensive. <laughs> he's so bored by the scene that he's just like, I'm asleep. Yeah, you'd be the same thing if you had to uh, hear the Bruni story again. I would probably just be like, oh, Bruni again? I'm so tired. I just got to go to sleep. It's definitely past my bedtime. I'm a little boy on the run. Okay. Uh, please let me sleep under this tent that you are building above my face. Now, Josh, if you thought the Bruni story was painful, uh, let's get into the story of Theon Greyjoy. And Do we have to? Do we have to? <laughs> Theon, he's up on the X. He is awoken by uh, two young women. One of them is named Miranda, but she is uh, not running for the governor of New York. And yes, she uh, she and the other woman. And I'm sorry, I don't know the other the other woman's name, uh, but they are saying like, hey, uh, we you know, we heard you're down here. And uh, look, we want to we want to do something nice for you. We want to make you feel better. And they've they've heard uh, the tales of how uh, legendary uh, Theon's uh, man part is. Yes, uh, his uh, his most precious part, yeah. uh, as we uh, as it as it comes to be described, and so they want to see it in person. Um, and they begin the process of that. Mm-hmm. And Theon, who's very resistant at first, yeah, slowly but surely, kind of 
gets into it. Yeah. And then it doesn't go so great. Yeah. But the thing that I want to just uh, nitpick here, I mean, how legendary could this be? I mean, we have seen it uh, in the show and that Theon is not exactly Dirk Diggler. I don't understand where the <laughs> legend comes from here with it. Like I get it like, Oh, Theon has a reputation of being a real ladies man, but that's not what they're saying. They're implying that his member is indeed uh, uh, the stuff of legend. I feel uncomfortable judging Alfie Allen in this way, so <laughs> I'm not going to weigh in on this any further. Mm-hmm. But I almost feel like that we should not, they should not have shown it in season one if it was going to be the stuff of legend. Well, I feel like, you know, I, I think that the reason to do that, um, to show it in season one is because I think that they are really expressing that Theon fancies himself as a ladies man and fancies himself as somebody who uh, can go around and really sexually do whatever he wants with anybody. And they've shown that in a couple of points throughout the the series uh, so far that scene in season one. And then, you know, when he's going to the iron islands and he's terrible to the woman that he has on the boat with him, the way he treats Yara initially. And I think now that we know, where that's going and just to kind of yara yara to that point this uh this man who has just been brutal to theon he comes in he calls for the guards after blasting his horn uh and has them come to him with a knife he says this is mercy i'm not killing you just a few alterations um and i think you know though we don't see exactly what happens next i think you can figure out what those Mm -hmm. alterations are Right. And I think they really needed to lay the groundwork for that. I think clearly this is a huge turning point for Theon as a character. You know, we've talked a lot about how this story takes away the things that are most important to these characters and then tasks them with finding out who they are in um, in the face of these losses, much like we're seeing currently with Jamie Lannister, who has lost his sword fighting hand uh, for all of his his uh, his faults, for all of his sins. I do think that this was Theon's most precious part, and now it is gone, and yeah. now we shall see what comes next. I guess the hang-up for me is that uh, they're trying to say about how it's so legendary uh, what what Theon has going on, but maybe if it's all part of the mind games of it's not actually legendary, but they're just uh, ta- like that. That's part of messing with uh, Theon, you know. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church, he is not. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, you know, good uh, HBO uh, cross-referencing. <laughs> I don't know if you're hip to divorce, but I actually think that's a great show. And Thomas Hayden Church is fantastic on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then let's touch on what's going on uh, over in the East as we are set up outside of Yunkai. How excited are you to start saying the word Yunkai? Uh, this is probably for people who are just starting to follow along with our Game of Thrones podcasts. Uh, I think that this is Rob's favorite word to say in the entire Game of Thrones canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Uh, so uh, Yunkai is a uh, very exciting place to be. 
Very exciting. Um, and, you know, basically, Daenerys, so she's in this region of Essos that is called Slaver's Bay, just to kind of contextualize where we are right now. And she's, you know, just left Astapor. She freed the Unsullied. She now is in um, command of the Unsullied, who are voluntarily coming with her. Uh, and she's got, like, a taste of blood and, like, a taste of righteousness. And she's now marched from Astapor to another city that is famous for um, its institution of slavery. And Danny, who has really been established as somebody who is really out on this kind of servitude, uh, has decided that she's not going back to Westeros until she busts some more heads in this region of the world. Um, even though both Jorah and Barristan are kind of like, these people are very dangerous, and if you are to go this route, it could be, you know, a really alarming thing. You really don't need to be here. And this envoy who uh, who comes to bring Danny so much gold is basically saying the same thing. Like, we're very forgiving people here in Yunkai, yes, but you did an Astapor. It was very messed up, but we can forgive it. If you just leave, we will give you all of the ships. We will give you so much gold to just go home. Uh, and Danny slams, uh, you know, the briefcase shut and says no deal. Yeah. And I'll take that gold. Thank you very much. Thanks for the gold. You know, you made a deal with me. You didn't make a deal with my dragons. Mm-hmm. And the gift that I'm giving you is your life. You're not getting your face melted off right now. So, uh them's fighting words and that's that's where we leave the danny story yeah danny is uh feeling it no she's coming off of you know she yeah (laughs) she she had a a big win you know sweet deal in slavers bay and now she's like uh no i will tell you the terms that i would like to deal with you know, after uh, a really, really terrible season two, she's entered season three with nothing but wins, even with this like sort of bad history under her belt. And she feels like I'm untouchable. I'm unstoppable. I am. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep pushing forward. And given the momentum she has on her side, I wouldn't bet against her right now. Yeah. What do you think of the people from Yunkai being the Yunkish? Um, what would you call them? Just the Yunkai? So you could say it more? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Yunkai? The Yunkai. Uh, yeah, that could work. I don't know. Just Yunkish. Yunkish is fine. I don't, I don't know. I'd be thrilled to be called Yunkish. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think that I would necessarily love to be called Yunkish either. That feels like more of an insult of like, oh, that dude is so Yunkish. He was acting really Yunkish last night. Uh, but it's it's what they're called, and I don't want to insult their culture. Okay, fair enough. Okay, and uh, no. who knows? Maybe the translation from Valerian uh, is uh, something that sounds uh, less disgusting than Yunkish. <laughs> yeah, Yunker sounds like a disease that Maester Kyburn would study. <laughs> okay. Uh Josh, anything else before we talk spoilers? No, let's talk spoilers. Okay. All right. Uh here we go. Uh spoiler talk and 
Okay. Um, N- now, in the context of this episode, sounding the horn has a very yes, bad connotation. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, let, let me let's just, say, just let me... assure everybody that you will listen to this podcast and you will walk away with your body fully intact. Well, let me just issue a retraction that I'm so embarrassed that when I referenced uh, Thomas Hayden Church, I was trying to reference Thomas Jane, the principal actor in a completely different HBO series. And uh, I feel uh, very, very badly about making such a mistake. I was thinking that there is a movie out there in which Thomas Hayden Church drops trow and I hadn't seen it. <laughs> yes. And I was about I to start. I was about Spider-Man to get to Googling. Three. Yeah. <laughs> wow you know i would believe that about sandman Mm -hmm. you know he can really do whatever he wants i think yeah yeah oh my god okay sorry Sorry about that everybody oh gosh well all right well i'm glad that you got out uh in front of it yes uh i stand i stand by uh divorce being an underrated show (laughs) yes and nobody stands by hung being an underrated show I think Hung was a bad show. Uh, you know, it had to had to get out of Hung. Couldn't couldn't handle Hung. Not a, not a, not a Hung guy. Personally. Still also on HBO on demand, by the way. Yeah, and to just you know bring it all full circle. Of course, Thomas Jane uh, starred in Boogie Nights alongside Dirk Diggler himself, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Okay. Full circle. All right. How about that. Um, yeah. So we're we're fully healed. Speaking now. of uh, all right, spoilers. Speaking of red wedding coming up, uh, Josh <laughs> purple uh, wedding. Is Bruni the Night King? <laughs> God, please, yes. Uh, no. Thank God uh, we never, I don't think, have to hear about Bruni ever <laughs> again. So. <laughs> Man, I mean, I, I just, bleh, like, I, I love Hodor, obviously, and I think that there's so much great potential for what the show can do with Bran eventually. I think Isaac Hempstead Wright is a, is a delightful young man, but God, his story is they had so going on. They had nothing. bad. Oh, it's awful. It's like, you know, no wonder they really, you know, not just the fact that he was growing so fast, but they really have to sideline him in season five because there's just nothing to do with this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's get into uh, real spoiler stuff. Uh, What are some of the things that you would like to do a deeper dive into, Josh? Uh, Deeper dive into, um, I mean, Jon Snow calls his shot with Egret. He says, if you attack the wall, you will die. Yeah, Uh, that is exactly what (laughs) that's exactly what happens. Yeah, nailed it. That is literally how it plays out. You called it. Called it, John. Yeah. Um, Here's a here's another one is so Theon is going to, um, you know, have his his precious part removed Mm -hmm. in large part because of Miranda, who he is going to go on to kill. He will, he will, you know, at least partly avenge this injustice. And I don't know that I had ever made that connection before. You know, he kills Miranda in season five when he escapes with Sansa. He pushes her over the ledge, uh, and then he and Sansa escape. And I don't know why, maybe just because it wasn't fresh in my mind, like the exact circumstances surrounding what happens to Theon. Um, but he avenges the, uh, the, the death of his most precious part. 
So he doesn't get one over on Ramsey directly, but he does get partial justice. Okay. Uh, yeah, she was a co-conspirator there. Uh, ultimately, I don't know how much they were in on the plan, to be fair. I feel like she was probably super in on the plan. I think that, you know, future developments with that character bear out that Miranda is as sadistic as Ramsey Bolton. You know, she seems to really be in on it with Ramsey and Ramsey, you know, when he's going to preside over her corpse uh, in season six early on, is going to talk about how, like, you know, we were always together and she was the greatest. And like, if that's how Ramsey Bolton views you, you got to be a pretty tortured individual and somebody mm-hmm. who likes to torture or other individuals and i think that like ramsey and miranda don't they hunt and murder this other woman who is part of yeah. this uh this would-be yeah. menage a trois <laughs> so i bet she was in on it i think miranda was in on it. they never go as well as you would think no <laughs> from what i hear wow okay here uh, all right yeah. josh uh i want to go back to danny and i want to talk about this offer that's on the table from uh the douchey uh yunkish slaver guy and he basically okay. is uh, offering gold and says, uh, there's even going to be more gold waiting for you. We're going to give you ships. Uh, Razdow, I believe is his name. And here's gold. Now we have more gold for you on the ships. Just leave. Just leave us alone. And that's it. Now for Danny, hindsight being what it is. Would she be in better or worse shape had she said, you know what, Mr. Banker, I will take the deal. Uh, I think ultimately worse shape. Uh, I think, you know, hindsight being what it is like, yeah, maybe this seems like the more straight and narrow path across the narrow sea. Uh, but she actually, you know, is going to gain more forces in her time here um, in Essos. If she sees this through, she's going to add to her army. She is going to add to her following. Her social media numbers are really going to be skyrocketing. This is the point where she's going to earn the proverbial blue check mark next to her name. Mm-hmm. She is a verified mother of dragons due to the time that she spends here in Essos. Like, yeah, is she going to go through some heartbreak? Is she going to lose some people? Is the whole Marine thing going to be a real to-do? Of course. But she's also going to become the Khaleesi. You know, she is going to really upend the toxic masculinity at the top of the Dothraki food chain. Uh, she is going to be able to free all the slaves at Slaver's Bay. She's going to learn a great deal by doing all of that. Um, and she's also going to have the benefit of time on her side, which is not just experience, but allowing her dragons to grow uh, and be the size that she needs them to be if she really needs to be formidable in the fight um, against, uh, you know, Cersei Lannister or whoever is going to be occupying the Red the red Keep and the Iron Throne whenever she chooses to go to Westeros. So I think if she were to go with her forces as they currently exist and with all of that gold and with all of those ships right now i don't feel like it would go super well for her mm-hmm. not that it's going great for her in current <laughs> right. game of thrones but i think that that's an unrelated thing yeah because i mean hypothetically yeah so she needs the dragons to get bigger and that her because of her time in marine if she doesn't get involved in this whole miranese knot then she can't have all of the harpies attack her and get rescued by drogon and then 
then get thrown in with the uh, Dothraki and then burn down all the Dothraki and then take over the Dothraki forces, which did turn out to be useful in battling the Lannisters in season seven. So the Dothraki pickup was good. The dragons need to get bigger. But I'm just wondering if she was sort of just, you know, hanging out for like a year or so and then biding her time, keeping her powder dry, attacking at some point during Tommen's reign. Seems like maybe they could have taken King's Landing at that point before they had to deal with the Night King at the same time. Well, you know, it, in on paper, it would be great if Danny went to Westeros when Tommen is in power because uh, he feels like somebody she could make a deal with. I feel like Tommen would be like, whoa, Mother of Dragons. Yes. Yeah. This is great. Like, let's like definitely hang out. Up, like, I feel like Tommen would Tommen be into was it. In power feels like that that would have been, uh, you know, the ideal time to uh, come in. And she would have uh, just had to deal with, uh, you know, the High Septon. The, or the high my uh, oh yeah and i mean yeah i guess you know either way you break it down the high sparrow is going <laughs> up in flames you know it's, it's just a question of wildfire versus dragon fire uh i think though that my big issue is with this idea that you're proposing for danny to like have a chill year and look i'm all about the sabbatical i am still waiting I'm waiting to figure out when when the sabbatical can be in my life. That sounds fantastic. Um, but she's got so much momentum yeah. right now. Uh, you know, she just had this incredible victory in Astapor. Uh, and now she's, you know, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to have a great victory here in Yukai uh, and really score some points there. So I feel like, you know, she's feeling yeah. it right now. It's like, you know, she's 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 still got to put that work in. Not that she hasn't earned a break. God knows she absolutely has. Um, but I think that she just like if she puts in the work for a little while longer, you know, she's going to get get closer to what she really wants. Josh, uh, I want to talk about Arya with the uh, Brotherhood Without Banners, and they're trying to talk to her, and they're talking about how they listen to the Red God. That's the one and only true God. Arya says, no, death is her God. And I thought that was interesting because uh, that she is, uh, I mean, I believe that Sirio uh, uh, first says this to her. But uh, it is consistent with what's going on with the faceless uh, men philosophy. Yeah, I think that she was like perfectly aligned to be one of them. And I think that like that attitude must be part of what Jack and Hagar sees in her and, you know, gives her the uh, the the coin to get to Bravos. Um, so, yeah, she's just like perfectly primed to walk that path and, you know, become one of the faceless men. OK, what else, Josh? Uh, I'm just so excited about Arya and the Hound being together now. Like that stuff is really gold in season four, but there's good stuff coming up in season three as well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. It's just fun. That's a great character dynamic. Um, what else? I don't know. I, I still feel like the attention to detail that's being paid to the Sansa and Tyrion stuff right mm -hmm. now. Obviously, it's important to have this on the show right now because it's a major development and, you know, they're going to go through with the wedding. They're not going to consummate the marriage or anything like that, but it's going to be an important part of their, um, their respective characters for the next little while. 
But it does, like, I just still wonder, you know, now I'm trying to look at this through the lens of, like, where the show could be going and just bearing in mind the possibility that these two could decide to stay together for, like, the good of the greater realm by the end of Game of Thrones. Um, through that lens, did these scenes do anything differently for you? Like, do you, are, are you feeling that? Am I out on a ledge here with this idea that Sansa and Tyrion could wind up together? I don't think it's crazy talk. I mean, I think that that would be fun. I know that the fans would love it. I mean, has Sansa come around? I mean, Marjorie seems like that she kind of had the hots for Tyrion. She's like, uh, like, oh, I think he's pretty good looking, especially now with the scar. So, right. Yeah, I, I think it would be fun. I think that everybody would be uh, really excited about it. Uh, would Sansa ultimately be excited about it? That's the question. Yeah, I think that is the question, obviously, um, in terms of whether or not this is something that we would want to see happen on the show. But one of the things that I'm just trying to like kind of game out in my head, like just like to sort of like arc out where the final six episodes of the show are going to go is right now, John and Daenerys and Tyrion Lannister, they are all on a boat heading north, um, you know, to go to Winterfell. Certainly the White Walkers are marching in that general direction right now as well. So I guess it's kind of a race to see who gets to whose storyline first, like who gets to to Sansa um, before the others. Do the White Walkers make it before Jon Snow shows up? Um, does Jon Snow get there before Sansa gets there? Is uh, Before the White Walkers get there, rather, is Sansa going to leave Winterfell uh, with her life intact and like make it to White Harbor, where Jon and, and Danny and Tyrion are all going to be? Um, like, There's all of those questions, but either way, it feels like there is, at the very least, a really good chance that Sansa and Tyrion are about to reunite. And what will that look like? You know, I think that the Tyrion story in particular has kind of been spinning its wheels over the past couple of seasons. You know, as we're talking through season three and soon to be talking through season four, we're really talking about the best Tyrion stuff. Season five has some good moments, but really six and seven are kind of, you know, take it or leave it with the Tyrion material. Um, and as we're moving into the end game and we're moving into the, the final battle between the living and the dead, what is Tyrion's role in that? He's a strategic advisor. He's not somebody you necessarily think about being out on the battlefield, even if he has shown himself capable in a fight when he really needs to be. Um, Sansa herself has been somebody who's been tactical and strategic, and you can imagine the two of them being in a lot of scenes together just through that um, as we're like kind of like staking out this war of the final season if that's kind of the tone that it takes. And if it's that tone, you have the added fact that these two have really tremendous history together. They have a very important part of their lives that they've shared together. So I'm really curious about that dynamic. I think going into the final stretch of Game of Thrones, that might be one of the dynamics that I'm looking forward to seeing the most. It's very exciting to think about so many of these characters interacting and, you know, Jamie Lannister fighting alongside John and maybe re-encountering Bran for the first time. That could be cool. But I think that the Sansa and Tyrion reunion is probably underrated in terms of what that could mean for the greater overall impact of the show. Could mean absolutely nothing. Right. Or it could mean, you know, a lot. And that's something that I'm very excited to see play out. And so just going back and watching this material of this point in time in their lives has been kind of interesting in, in that lens of where they could be going ultimately. We have no idea. There are six episodes of Game of Thrones that are completely unaccounted for as we are doing this winter with your rewatch. 
It's hard to find a suitor for Sansa if she is going to end up as sort of a ruling the North or, you know, installed somewhere. I think outside of Tyrion, I mean, I think you can maybe see Gendry potentially. I was just going to say that, yeah. Way more with Arya along the way, but we've talked about the possibility of perhaps Arya not making it through. So there's not a lot of eligible bachelors at this point for Sansa. Yeah, and I mean, like, that doesn't necessarily have to be the direction the show goes in anyway, but I think that, you know, for the, for the arc for Sansa Stark, who is a character who I, who I expect will, will live through the end of Game of Thrones, just given everything that she's endured, unless it's like a real genocide. <laughs> and, you know, the show goes in a direction where, uh, where Westeros is really left in ruins, as opposed to just like really banged up, but mostly intact, or at least with a lot of important people still remaining so they can kind of rebuild. Um, but, you know, Sansa starts out as somebody with this, you know, these aspirations and these ideas of, you know, like the Disney princess fairy tale. And what she has gone through is really seeing what that actually looks like, what it really looks like to live in this world and to live with those high stakes, especially when you're being brought into a family that is filled with terrible people. Um, and I think for her to to leave this show with finally, you know, kind of being the queen that that she always, you know, wanted and dreamed of being, but not exactly in the way that she thought she would get there, and it not exactly being what she thought it would be, and the the prince of her dreams or the man of her dreams or the king of her dreams not really existing in the way that she thought of it and conceptualized it, but maybe finding someone kind who she can at least have a conversation with and maybe grow to care about in the way that you know Ned and Catelyn grew to care about each other I think that those are possibilities for where the character could go but it would also be great if she was just like yeah no I've been in too many bad relationships and I'm just gonna go this thing solo but I'm also still the queen that would be fun (laughs) yeah uh Anything else with Gendry here in this episode, learning for the first time uh, about his lineage that uh, he has probably figured to be a bigger endgame character than I think we would have thought going into season six when it had been so long since we had seen him again. Uh, He learns that uh, he might have a bigger role to play this week. Yeah, I I do think the fact that Gendry's absent for three seasons after this season is really what kind of, you know, puts him out of mind for people. Um, but I think that there there's a lot of setup for a really important role for Gendry. And I feel like, you know, we're at this moment where the show is moving forward, you know, without the books. And it has been for a little while now, and it will certainly continue that way. It'll end without the books being finished. Um, and with that, you know, being the case, the show has eliminated certain storylines that are in the book that we don't know how they're going to resolve and it seems like they have found workarounds for how to get there and if Gendry wasn't going to be important to the end game because they've had conversations with George R. R. Martin so they at least know the broad strokes of what he's been planning um, you could totally see that like Gendry just gets on the rowboat and never shows up again um, but the fact that he does show up again um, you know in this last season that aired uh, and that we are getting moments like this as we're watching it back where he 
he's looking up at King's Landing in this kind of glorious moment of learning that he is a Baratheon makes you think, you know, makes you wonder what could the outcome be for uh, for Gendry Baratheon at the end of the day. Um, and I think that even he like if if, you know, you, you brought it up that, you know, if it's not like Tyrion and if Sansa is like destined to be with somebody or if she's going to end the show in a relationship with somebody, that Gendry could be an interesting pick uh, going back to something very early in the series, you know, in the very first episode of the series of Robert and Ned in the crypt uh, of Winterfell and Robert saying, um, you know, it's not too late to join our houses uh i have a son you have a daughter uh you know we can join our houses that way and it would be the fulfillment of that promise um so i think that that's something that's very much on the table is uh you know king king gendry queen sansa if you want to ship it make sure you hire somebody other than gendry to pilot the boat (laughs) uh exciting stuff uh josh anything else you want to talk about from uh season three episode seven just but two episodes away from the red wedding well, speaking of just but, we could talk very quickly about uh, Rob and Talisa and uh, just you know, this is so sad to, to watch how happy they are knowing that they are both about to get viciously murdered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's really nothing to add other than the show really does such a good job of setting up how brutal the Red Wedding is going to be. Yeah. So it's a very happy time, it looks like. It's the happiest time. Mm-hmm. And yes. Soon, certainly, I think like the last really happy time for those two characters. Yeah. And yeah, Rob just really can't even concentrate on what he's supposed to be doing. So uh, that's, uh, you know, one of the dangers of war planning. Yeah. So, yeah, I think other than that, I don't have I don't got much. Uh, we're going uh, we're getting into a really good episode next week, though. Uh, Second Sons is the next episode of Game of Thrones that we're going to talk about. Okay, and we can open up the Dario uh, controversy. Which Dario? (laughs) Yeah, we will start that. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, Great stuff, of course. Uh, We got so much uh, Walking Dead stuff uh, this week as we had the finale of season eight of The Walking Dead, uh, the premiere of Fear the Walking Dead season four. Uh, Josh and I are going to talk Walking Dead feedback as well uh, this week. And Josh was even on the set of The Talking Dead this week. So a lot of big Walking Dead news uh, and stories that we will discuss coming up in our Walking Dead feedback show later this week. That's right. And we are also very uh, we're very much uh, about to be in Westworld territory here on Post Show Recaps. The season two premiere is April 22nd. Joe Garfine and I are going to be rebooting our Westworld recap coverage uh, where we are going to be doing all sorts of weird, insane theorizing every single week. Uh, it, it takes a little while to, to pull that off. So we're going to be doing those as midweek podcasts. Look for the first one of those to drop uh, on Thursday. Thursday of next week. Very excited to be talking Westworld with Joe. I was at the premiere last night. I got to see the first episode of the new season of Westworld. It's good. It's very, very good. Very excited. All right. Westworld is good, you say? Westworld is great. 
Okay. All right. Uh, great stuff here today. Can't wait to uh, get back together and talk about our final episode before we get to the Red Wedding here on our Game of Thrones rewatch. Make sure you subscribe to our Game of Thrones podcast feed to get these episodes as soon as they drop. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes for that and follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Ron Howard. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 